Well, welcome to today's episode of The Visible Workplace. Thanks for joining us. This is our third episode and I hope you're getting a lot of value from this. If you haven't already, go back and catch the first two episodes. We covered some really cool stuff and looking forward to an interesting topic today. Annabelle, welcome to the call. How are you going? Thank you, Tom. I am wonderful. I'm feeling very relaxed. Uh, I, I know you were just about to introduce the topic, which is stress in the workplace. So I'm feeling the exact opposite of stress in the workplace today. This is my day off with our youngest child, Claudia. Uh, so I am feeling very zen and stress-free, but, you know, very excited and eager to talk about the topic of stress in the workplace. And I, I don't know what to say if this doesn't resonate with everybody listening. If you have worked in any sort of job, uh, you you know, you should be interested in, in this topic. You will have definitely felt some of the symptoms that we'll talk about and um, potentially tried to alleviate them, but it's a big one. It's a big, big problem. I, I agree. I 100%. I'd be amazed if someone, if, if you are listening and you have not experienced stress in the workplace, then please send us a message and say, hey, just want to let you know, we What's have it dialed in. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us the secret to a, a stress-free workplace. <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I've, I've seen it where there's generalized kind of low levels to medium levels of stress, but certainly this can go right off the deep end for, for some workplaces where the stress in the workplace becomes extremely toxic and we start seeing many, many downstream effects of that stress as people perhaps aren't coping so well, they're not coming in, they don't know how to talk about the problems, the problems may not be seen, maybe management or business owner doesn't know what to do with the situation and suddenly it's this giant mess. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a, a feeling of uh, loss of control and um, you know, I suppose no matter what job you're in, jobs can be obviously so so varied in in the you know nature of the role. Um, you know, so far to date, uh, I'm now 40 years old, just turned 40, but I've been uh, I've been a professional. Well, I am a professional golfer, so I've I played golf uh, tournaments. So that that's one type of stress. That's not a workplace, but it's still a very uh, stress inducing environment. You are you know it's performance pressure. Um, and then I've been on television, another type of stress. Now, there is a workplace involved there and there's a lot of moving parts with directors and producers. So uh, you are you are the show. The pressure is on you. And I know that sort of stress of this feeling of you cannot let all of these moving parts and all of these people down by not performing, uh, and especially with live television. So there's that sort of stress, which I'd I'd love to talk a little bit about. And then, of course, you know, that it brings me to the now, and I'm a psychologist in much more of what you know, all the listeners would, would know as a normal sort of workplace um, with the hierarchy and um, the, the, you know, managerial system and everything, all the employees as, as well. But I suppose, I suppose that, Tom, I'd love to kick off um, and just a quick story about um, just to talk about the different type of stress and how it can come out differently, um, you know, certainly uh, the, the nervous system and, you know, the physical symptoms. 
when I think back to being on television, I was uh, a host on Golf Channel, which is a 24-hour golf network. It goes out um, globally. So it's a, it's a very big stage that you're on and a very professional setting, huge studios in Orlando at the time. They're now in Connecticut. But it just, even the environment made you feel stressed. Um, but So talking about live television, you, you do know what you're going to say and there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. So one of the things that I remember um, about my stress with this role was that before I, the day before I would go on camera, I would will have prepped for probably three days. I'd go to bed that night and the ruminating would begin, going <laughs> over and over and over the lines that I need to remember. And, and they're quite extensive, you know, that we're talking about a, a, a couple of hours of a live show and then a couple of hours in the day doing other shooting for ads or the morning show or something like that. Um, and the whole night would just be tossing and turning, tossing and turning. So, you know, from a medical perspective, you know, what is what is happening to my body that I can't shut it down? You know, this is this is a, a stress. It's, I mean, it's certainly not conducive to high performance. The idea of not getting a good night's sleep and then having to show up and do the show, uh, the, it, it, ideally, you would be able to relax, go to sleep, sleep really well, show up and everything just runs smoothly. But with that environment that you're talking about and you're, you're the one on camera, then it's very easy for the mind to begin to worry what could happen, what would it look like, what are the impacts, what am I fearful of, if I make a mistake, will I get fired, will people wonder and say, gee, not very professional. All of these fears are coming up and that's having done the preparation as well. Three days of preparation coming in and then suddenly you're having to show up and perform. Medically, I, I think that you're likely to have a significant adrenal response, that there's going to be too much uh, adrenaline running around, preventing sleep. Most likely in my experience, uh, I would think that I do actually sleep even when it seems like I am not sleeping at all. But still, it's not ideal. And uh, this, is, this is sort of very relevant to high performance uh, stress. The one analogy that I have for this is the final exams for becoming a general practitioner. And yes, this was essentially, yeah, this, I mean, this was essentially 12 months of study. And then you show up and you've got this four hours of taking question after question after question. And... The night before that definitely did not sleep well. Not ideal and yet showed up. And I have I, virtually um, every time I have this bizarre experience of taking exams where my mind goes completely blank about 10 minutes before the exam. And I'm like, oh no, I can't oh, no. remember. Everything's gone. Everything. <laughs> is gone and i got used to is? it what was that do you know what that is do you have no like, I no, no I idea it's just something that happens i think i think possibly it's some kind of 
I don't know, if we're gonna give a computer analogy, it wipes the slate clean and then you've got a clean access to the data. As soon as that first question comes, it's now a prompt for a clean whiteboard. Instead of having a whiteboard covered in, in yeah. data, and it wipes it and then the first question comes, you know, what would you do in this situation? And out comes the correct answers. But we're talking right. 12 months of work, high stakes, lot of, it's quite expensive. Um, and, and then what I forgot about is that you get through the first two exams and then there's another one in about three months time. And I was so happy to get through this first one that I then took three weeks off completely and then sort of woke up and went, ah, I've got to sit more exams. And the, the stress of this, it's, uh, it, I mean, I got through, it was fine, but it isn't the most pleasant experience. And I think that if people have maladaptive uh, stress responses, let's call them maladaptive. Let's say that I was so worried by my lack of sleep that I didn't go to the exam, didn't go. I'm just like, you know what? I'm so stressed. I don't think I can do this. Yes. And I walk away from that exam. That's not a great outcome. Yeah. And I've allowed the stress of the moment to overcome my actual result that I want, which is to pass my exams and to pass the exams. I have to show up even if haven't slept, you know, child was up all night, whatever the situation is, I have no chance of passing that exam if I don't show up. And then the problem that I think people face is next time around, even if they're more prepared and even if they get a good night's sleep, that stress response kicks in and it's very easy then to set up an established pattern of, I'm fearful of what the outcome could be and I'm not willing to have that poor outcome, so I'm not going to go through the experience. The, the default kicks in. I've, I've stepped away from facing the fear of, of sitting the exam before, therefore, you know, I'll, I'll do it again. And, and they get sort of trapped in this, in this um, yeah, they have this, this mindset of when, when I'm faced with something, I, I, I just run away rather than facing the music, so to speak. And, and I suppose, um, you know, people that do that and have the, the maladaptive strategies probably can't do high-performance jobs and they, they, you know, they simply refuse to which kind of brings us, you know, down from high performance to, you know, your, your more average office job, which is a different stress altogether. It's probably not that really heightened, I can't sleep at night, but more of a, a simmering, um, dysregulated nervous system and, and, and overstimulated during the day, able to turn it off at night, but, um, you know, don't know how to self-soothe self and, and possibly quiet quitting occurs, you know, because, you know, that that's sort of, you know, quiet quitting is, is putting in the absolute minimum amount of effort to keep their jobs. Um, they're got, not going the extra mile for, for their employer. Um, and, and this might, you know, this might be caused by stress. Um, it could be other things as well. But seeing as we're talking about stress, 
you know, I think it 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 might be we could link quiet quitting with with stress, distress, and it could be an attempt by workers to sort of regain some sort of control over their lives um, and avoid talking about, you know, the not facing the music, but avoiding stress or anxiety in their job. I, um, I can see how that could be set up very much so. So uh, yeah. let's say that you're living in Australia, which is an extraordinarily expensive country, and you can't live on social security for whatever reason you have to work but there's this unspoken stress that you're dealing with and you don't really know how to solve it not really sure even what it is but there's a safety in going to the lowest performance or an apparent safety oh it's it's a coping mechanism Coping mechanism. Yeah. I think also, you know, um, you touched on that they don't understand. I, I don't know if, if you know, uh, most of the population do understand, um, you know, how dysregulated their nervous system is. I, I remember back to when I was um, an amateur golfer, an elite amateur golfer, and you'd be, you'd be, you'd be talking to other professionals or even, you know, even mental um, coaches. Uh, that, psychologists sports psychologists and about nerves and how to combat them and and to me there was always this deep breathing deep breathing and and there was often no explanation about why why are we doing deep breathing and i'd get on the first t first t nerves and i'd start this deep breathing breathing and cognitively my thoughts would jump to my God, my breathing is so out of whack. You know, it's shallow, it's it's faster. Like, why am I concentrating on the physical symptoms that are, you know, telling my mind, um, you know, it's kind of leading to more panic. And and there was, you know, and more judgment would pile on my own, my own judgment of myself about how I'm doing it wrong. But there was never any explanation. So it's kind of coming back to, you know, if people don't understand why you would do something to combat it or even what it is in the first place um you know how can how can anything improve so it wasn't until actually really recently when i was studying i was doing a master of psych psychology professional psychology when i learned about the nervous system and it, i think it's the correct me if i'm wrong the parasympathetic nervous system um and it slows your breathing rate down so this isn't a cognitive a cognitive tool it's actually a, a physical thing so your 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 breathing is is it's your i think it's controlled by the automatic nervous system and that is what um causes you know something some um, blood vessels to widen and the whole thing slows down but without knowing that i was thinking that it was just a cognitive thing um, so uh, now, I, after all these years, of, of, I actually ditched the focusing on the breathing because it made me worse, made me feel more panicked. But now I'm bringing it back in because now I know that it's an involuntary thing rather than something that my, I thought I was supposed to control it with my mind. Because you weren't explained why no. you would focus on your breathing. Yeah, no, there's really no explanation, and, and there should be there should be explanations in in workplaces. Would it be, <laughs> would it be yeah. helpful if people knew why we're always told to focus on 
deep breathing. I mean, if you Google it, you know, what do I do when I'm stressed in the workplace? I'm sure the number one hit is going to be do some deep breathing. Well, it takes the mind off whatever you're focused on, onto the breathing. As you said, it brings awareness to how you are breathing right now. It's essentially a type of meditation. It's a single point of focus in inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Even if you're not doing the words, it's like I'm slow breathing in, slow breathing out. It's activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So for those of you who aren't medical, we've got two two autonomic branches of the nervous system. So two branches of the autonomic nervous system. One is called sympathetic uh, fight flight freeze is usually that one i'm going to fight i've got to fight i've got to defend myself i can't i'm going to run get me the heck out of here or i'm going to freeze and do nothing and hope that the threat passes and doesn't recognize so that's all sympathetic that all will shut down your ability to think logically or or rationally interpret the situation you're now running on emotional uh, experience of life. And this tends to lead to poor decision-making, increased feelings of stress, mistakes, all of that comes. Parasympathetic on the other side is a rest and digest system, slows the heart rate, slows the breathing. It's much more chilled, kicking back on a Sunday afternoon in the hammock and our society is very much designed towards the sympathetic. We don't have very many practices that are explicitly uh, saying, hey, this is a parasympathetic exercise. The slow, deep breathing is a parasympathetic exercise. It's working the parasympathetic um, nervous system. And my, my major form of this, my, my personal choice when I'm going through extreme periods of stress or even just regular stress is a particular meditation that I was first introduced to in 2007. And it's called Turtle Longevity Qigong First Form. Very long name. It's yes. pretty simple meditation. It's got three movements and two visualizations. You become a turtle and swim between islands. But this is an explicit exercise of parasympathetic nervous system. And it's wonderfully rich and very, very wonderful meditation. You can check it out on YouTube. But this balances out the stress that many of us are going through between work, but also maybe at home. Like I think at least in Australia and from what I understand, generally across the world, post COVID, we've been going through large amounts of inflation, rental crisis, interest rates going up. So not very few people have been able to avoid home stress, then work stress. And it's like, this is a very stressful environment. (laughs) So Tom, with a meditation, as the one you've just spoken about, the turtle meditation, that's something that you could uh, introduce at home, I would imagine. Would that impact at all the working day, the the next day, like on a a more holistic, um, you know, sort of way to relax the mind or what 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 would you suggest for while people are actually at work? They're not necessarily going to be able to take 10, 20 minutes out, whatever, doing certain 
things in a in a work office environment um is it is it the deep breathing or is there something else I, it's i you know i love to hear that for something perhaps at home but what about for at work because we well, don't like <laughs> quitting right <laughs> I, all right so a couple of things one i find it extremely difficult to get through the day if i haven't done meditation it, to me even five minutes per day is a vast return on investment for what I'm about to face in that day. You do that it in the morning? I do it in the morning. I, so I, I will do it in the morning. And then depending on how the day is going, I will add in a lunchtime meditation anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. And the fact that it's not appropriate in the workplace to do a meditation is more a representation of our unawareness of the benefits because it's highly likely that if I'm struggling, stressed, had a very difficult morning and I just rush through my food and get back to the work, that my ability to perform at a high level is decreased. And so, so a, a yeah. culture change, a, a culture, workplace yeah. culture change, you know, accepting uh, timeouts for for meditation or whatever's necessary. Uh, yeah. A brief a brief walk around outside, get some fresh air. Change brief, the yep. change the you know the cha- get a change up from the monotony of of the workplace. Um, Absolutely, I I think the return on investment for the lunchtime meditation is extremely high, extremely high, and. To, to have that maybe formally introduced by a workplace, hey, that's wonderful. But if it's not accepted, then, hey, I'm going to have to take some of my time and say, you know, this is important. And there's many, many, many different forms of meditation that someone could use. But the benefits are going to decrease stress, turn off the emotional response, allow the neocortex to start working again, increase productivity, increase focus. But the options, you asked about options. So, so one is um, you, can do, uh, you can do the breathing exercise. Just inhale, exhale, deep breathe in. It's pretty simple. You can use a form of meditation called mantra where you're repeating a word such as relax or love or happy or some kind of word just over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah, so that's called mantra. Um, You can have guided visualizations where you just plug in headphones and instead of going to music or podcasts or whatever, you pop on a guided meditation for 10 minutes and that will take you through various things. You know, you could go, they could take you to, um, I don't know, on all sorts of journeys or it could just be, hey, listening to... Um, a background sound such as rain falling. But all of these methods are basically regenerating, to to my mind, regenerating focus, regenerating energy, regenerating the ability to then work at a higher level in the afternoon. And then hopefully I'm done and I can go home and not take the stress with me I can then be with my family, I can hang out. And this is extremely difficult in our current technological world. But nonetheless, to me, a lunchtime meditation is extremely valuable for a stressed person. Well, and sometimes 
we may not even recognize that we are a little bit stressed and we are a little bit overstimulated. I, I've had this experience myself quite recently where I, I was talking to a colleague, a, another psychologist, and I was telling her that sometimes I feel like I'm going in fast forward. And we're talking about, you know, being overstimulated and really, you know, I've always struggled to, to self-soothe. You know, I probably haven't practiced meditation or even if it's a yoga class or you know all of these techniques you've just spoken about enough just over the years I've just got into a habit of go 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 push 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 and I, I think part of part of that comes from my you know personality maybe my background in in elite sport but it's always just been in my head instead of the mantra being relax 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 it's been push push Push. And we were talking about, you know, what what was my day look like, my routine? And we figured out that, um, you know, we have, I have, my husband and I have three kids under five. I go to the gym six days a week. In the, those six days a week at the gym, they're hit classes. They're not yoga. They're hit classes where the music is loud. The, you know, you're doing a lot of cardio. You're going boom, 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 boom. Start a, a nine-hour work day come home and do some more work on the computer, other, you know, other uh, requirements that I have with APRA, the governing body for psychologists, and it goes on and on. Then the screen sort of always does something to my brain. Now I'm, I'm ready to decompress, but my brain says, no, you're not. So now it's, it's 9.30 or 10 p.m. and I feel I'm ready to go. So all of these, all of these things that I'm saying, eventually I'll have like a really nice hot shower and try and, and bring myself down. This is self-soothing. But it wasn't until this conversation that I had recently with this colleague where I realized I am overstimulated and this is possibly some level of stress. I just haven't viewed it like that. Um, you know, and here I am a psychologist. I, I thought to myself, I should know better. But I'm now going to actively start bringing in some meditation because I realize that I never bring myself down and I, I largely, I, I pretty much don't know how to. So, you know, that's one sort of extreme, you know, that some people, that might resonate with some people. Some, something else that I wanted to, to talk about briefly, which I thought is a really interesting statistic, which is kind of the opposite to how how my life is with my work. I'm, you know, obviously go, go, go. But for other people, it's the other way. And I was looking at some, some research and would you believe, Tom, would you believe that the average office worker in Australia, their pro productivity level is less than three hours in an average eight-hour working day? I, so, I'm not surprised so, by that. Yeah. 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 So in all career fields, the average for worker for productivity is 60% or less each day. But for office workers, that percentage drops drastically. So, you know, so I suppose, you know, I've taught my my example is is a, a version of stress. But then I think coming back to what I was talking about at the beginning, um, you know, there's the there's other people that are are running from stress, and this could possibly be you know, their form of a coping mechanism of doing as little as they can, which is, you know, kind of tying into that whole theory of quiet quitting. So, yeah, I mean, 
are the, uh, I, I do, do people explicitly set out to have a relatively unproductive day? Probably not, but if let's assume that people aren't going to aim for a three hour day, but why is that happening? And to me, it could be the stress of the work is there and it I is know. there and I'm, I can, let's say that I'm fearful of whether I can, am, am I doing the job correctly? Am I doing the job incorrectly? Am I doing it the right way? Is this the standard? Will I get yelled at? Like all of these subconscious thoughts, very different to push, 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 but oh my goodness, I'm not sure. Am I doing it the right way? So I can tiptoe through the work and perhaps get more feedback that I'm on the right track by potentially, if someone's quite empathic, looking at what's going on, sending it to the boss, asking for feedback. But the underlying problem is that they're not really sure, am I doing the right job? This, this is a significant problem. Um, I actually had this experience, not in, in the workplace, but a complete memory loss of what I was meant to do. Had to go and buy, I was, my wife's like, hey, can you go and grab a couple more t-shirts for the kids? We're going back to school, we need some t-shirts. And I, I just gapped on it entirely. And I'm like, what's going on here? This is ridiculous. This is not a difficult task, but previously where I had not been clear on the results and had delivered the incorrect results and then that didn't go very well. You know, it's like, hey, you wasted money, you stuffed it up or whatever. Now I've got a memory that's coming up that's blocking me from doing something that I'm perfectly capable of. But I get down there, had the list in my pocket, drove all the way down. It's about a half hour, drove all the way back, walked in the door, pulled the list out and went, ah, oh, man, that is some weird stuff. Yeah. And that, that is that it's the almost, I was unconscious to it and I didn't put enough work into defining the trip. And that may all be part of the stress response. I'm, I'm going to benefit by avoiding the risk of doing this incorrectly by not doing it at all. Yeah, it's, a, it's an avoidance tactic. I think we've all been in a workplace where we've witnessed somebody that is appearing to be ever so relaxed, doing things ever so slowly, talking a lot to other colleagues. You know, this is all, these are all avoidance tactics. And it's, you know, more than likely, I mean, you'd have to obviously, it's, it's a, Invest, you'd have to investigate the person and the scenario. But in my mind, there's a fairly high chance that that person is in fact stressed and going through, you know, exactly all of those things you've spoken about, you know, possibly, you know, racing mind and thinking, I don't know how to do this. So the, the default is, well, if I can't do the job properly I'm just going to you know act as if I'm doing it slowly or something like that is going on to that effect of you know and I think that's why this 
this three-hour productivity situation, well, it's one of the reasons, um, you know, it could be so low because it's it's astonishingly low, three hours out of an eight-hour day. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, stress is, um, you know, in, in, it's just a, an incredibly impacting and sort of um, debilitating symptom in the workplace. And, I, I, I mean, I think it's a, a logical step to sort of push towards the, that culture change in, you know, we're accepting of meditation, walks out in green spaces, whatever it is you need to do to, to come back and be able to concentrate and not, you know, not forget, not forget to get the T-shirts, the one thing you went for. Um, you know, I, I guess, yeah, that's sort of, I think it's yeah, it's such a it's such a crippling, crippling um, thing in the workplace. Well, I think also one of the other takeaways is when things do go wrong, which is pretty common. Who's at fault? Is it the person, yes. or is it the structure that people are using to get work done? And when it's the person, then I feel like the possibility of setting up maladaptive coping mechanisms is much, much higher than let's say that we could have a look at, hey, what happened and talk me through this and, okay, I can say, so you made this decision here, what were you thinking? Okay, cool, what do we need to change? And instead of it being the person's fault, it's the, okay, this is the process's fault. This is the process that we need to change or adapt. Now, that brings up a whole host of other problems. But nonetheless, the point is when the person is made to be the fault, it's really a high probability of ongoing stress in the workplace gets set up. Yes, I, I totally agree that when it's the person that feels they're at fault or is made to feel they're at fault, it's incredibly disabling. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can talk further down the track in other episodes about um, how, you know, systems can help people and assist people, um, you know, so that they're not forever having to um, rely on asking their manager or their boss what to do, because that's that sort of chicken and egg scenario of, and that's troublesome in itself. Um, and hopefully one day in the future there will be software that has all of that in place so that the workplace, um, I don't know, it's just a, an easier, it's an easier kind of, kind of has easier systems to navigate. And I think, yeah, I mean, a, a less stressed worker, a less stressed owner, a less stressed manager, these are all beneficial for getting more done in a clean way that leads to better businesses and a better society. So this stress problem, we've come to the end of our episode, it's kind of flowing by, but this stress problem is very endemic across workplaces, across disciplines in, the, in, the, in various businesses. It's certainly not one particular type of business that has it. But it is something that we as, uh, as, as people really need to be aware of and coping mechanisms or, or prevention mechanisms like meditation, but also, hey, how, how are we going to do deal with this? So, all right, Anna, that's, um, that brings us pretty much to the end. Any concluding comments yes. for today's episode? Yes. 
Yes, my concluding comment is that I'm going to stick with my commitment to meditate daily, even if it's in the form of yoga. That's probably an easy entry thing for me. But for everyone listening, whether it's yoga, um, whether it's deep breathing or whether it's turtle qigong, does I get that right? <laughs> yeah, first form. <laughs> yeah. First form is qigong. Yeah, just look into something and, and yeah, look after yourselves. That's, I think, is wonderful advice. All right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, then hit the subscribe button. If you know someone who would benefit from this episode, then please share it up. Annabelle, that brings us to the end of episode number three for The Visible Workplace. Thanks so much for joining me. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, Tom. Me too.